1: I am joined by gina radcliffe and i was gonna try to do my best patrick hamilton intro but i figured <laughs> that you know you probably already get enough of that
0: <laughs> he's just got that whole you know stenorious radio announcer voice it's it's you know it's good it's a good voice but you don't have to
1: do that <laughs> yeah i i don't think i can hold the candle up to it so i probably shouldn't try <laughs> well i'm so excited that you've agreed to do this oh me too now if people are unaware of the show that you do on the internet perhaps i can ask you to briefly introduce yourself to the good folks listening
0: sure i am co-host of the kill by kill podcast we talk about horror movies according to the characters after a a very long and occasionally uh, difficult two and a half years we just finished the friday 13th series and after a brief break to cover Black Christmas, the, the, the remake, which I, I don't recommend, I, I, I disrecommend the, the remake of Black Christmas, uh, we are about to get into A Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Very exciting. And you do print publication as well.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I write for Alcohollywood. Uh, I do some hard, some general movies and television reviews there. And I also do writing on my own website too.
1: Which is what?
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, com. Yes. I'll
1: give you another chance to plug it at the end, too. Okay. (laughs) All right. So you're one of the people that I wanted to connect with because you're not strictly horror, but then you do a lot with horror. So I thought you would be a very interesting addition to this podcast. So I'm curious to know, how did you get started with horror? What is your relationship to the genre?
0: Well... Mostly, I think I kind of felt drawn to it when I was a kid because I had a kind of very chaotic childhood and adolescence without getting you know too being too much of a bummer. You know, whole you know divorced parents and dealing with that whole fallout from that. I kind of really just fell into a lot of very distracting you know some people read you know get into like a lot of fantasy novels I read a lot of horrors so I got a lot of Stephen King and then I started you know we, we had like every cable channel that it was possible to have it was back when you know you basically had HBO and Showtime and that was about it and I just kind of just sat for hours just watching these movies and then we got a VCR so I that you know kind of just really expanded the horizon, as it were. It's not the most original answer, but it was really kind of just an escape from a miserable, lonely existence.
1: Yeah, and I mean, back in those days when HBO and Showtime were actually airing movies regularly and not producing their own content, like, the vast majority of movies that they were doing were either action films or probably cheapo horrors. Right, exactly. Now, you're also like you love classic television of the 70s and 80s, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Right, yeah. That's a big thing that I write about on my blog.
1: So do you have a relationship with things like Women in Danger TV shows or made-for-television horror movies?
0: I I do get a kick out of those. I kind of try to stick with themes for each month for my website, at least as far as writing about television. And so October is always obviously Halloween. Like most recently, I did Summer of Fear, which is this really really wonderfully good-bad movie with Linda Blair in which her family takes in a relative who turns out to be a witch. It's kind of a combination of both horror and also sort of the hand, the rocks, a cradle, you know, woman coming in and, and kind of trying to take over the whole family. And it was this perfect storm of cheese and campiness. And I just really, really love it so much.
1: And that's a Wes Craven one, too. Right? It is.
0: Yeah. I also watched Invitation to Hell, which was another one he did. And which Robert Urich and his family, they they moved to a town that sort of looks like very much. And, and it is. It was more or less filmed in the same area. It looks like Cuesta Verde from Poltergeist. Oh, and... Nice. Um, And they join a country club that it's the gateway to hell and Susan Lucci is the devil.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh.
0: You cannot get a, a better premise for a plot than that. She's amazing in it. Like her hair just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I had mentioned in my my article about it that it looked like by the end, like it had been styled with a hand mixer. It just looked like somebody (laughs) like 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 whipped her hair like meringue. It's fantastic.
1: Uh, I'm always so frustrated whenever there's these badass horror female villains and they've got the big ass hair, but then. They just leave it at the same size throughout the film. I'm like, no, lean into that urban legend and just make the hair bigger and bigger and bigger.
0: Yeah, they definitely did that. You would you would very much appreciate it.
1: Uh, and Susan Lugie with big hair. That, <laughs> that has got to be a thing of beauty.
0: Like big hair and like heavy blue eyeshadow. It's just very, very 1985.
1: Uh, I miss the 80s sometimes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so... TV movies and HBO and Showtime. That's how you got into watching some of these terrible things. Mm. Um, How did you get into writing?
0: Sounds kind of silly. It's kind of something I always enjoyed doing. When I was seven, I made a fake newspaper and it made my dad laugh. And I was like, oh, okay, this is something I can do to entertain people. And and then when I was in middle school, I wrote for the school paper. And then after that point, I kind of got a little bit into fiction writing. And then I've just been blogging off and on probably, uh, you know, 15 years now I I used to be very involved in live journal may it rest in peace (laughs) I don't know if you ever got to experience the live journal years you people who talk about like all the drama on Facebook and all really just they don't know they just do not know I have one who's was like oh you sweet summer child you have no idea you missed peak live journal
1: yeah the real drama is oh yeah
0: yeah 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 yeah. i mean at least at least on facebook it's harder to make black puppet and troll accounts and all but i mean on live drama there were people who would have like just multiple alternate accounts just to like troll and harass people and it was just and these are like grown people (laughs) at least at least facebook you could say to a certain point not so much recently but you know kind of skewed towards younger users but live journal it was just people in their 30s and 40s just you know making each other's lives miserable
1: the glory years
0: yes exactly the salad years were we ever so young and green
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh dear so Part of the reason that we're having this conversation in advance of the month of February is that it's Women in Horror Month. So it's a reason to celebrate. And I'm wondering, what does the month mean to you?
0: I mean, it's definitely not as easy as it should be, but it's getting better to be certainly a female fan of horror and certainly right with a female perspective. I mean, it's the genre is still, in a lot of ways, very inclusive, but it or not, not it's not inclusive. I should say it's it's insular, but it doesn't seem to be so much based in sexism as it used to be. I mean, don't get me wrong; it has a a lot. It has a long way to go, <laughs> a long, long, long way to go. But I mean, more often than not, when you see. Gatekeepers nowadays is more in terms of arguing over well this movie isn't really horror or like this was past year alone I never saw so many just absolutely worthless arguments over whether or not Hereditary was horror whether or not Bird Box was horror and it's of course it's horror <laughs> you know I mean you know whether whether it's if it didn't scare you doesn't mean it isn't horror I, I don't know how you could look at a movie like Hereditary which was probably not just my favorite horror movie of last year but one of my Favorite movies overall, and I don't know how you can look at that and say with a straight face. Oh, that's not horror, <laughs> okay? You know, like, you know, a kid gets her head not clean off by a you know light bulb, but that's not horror, okay? <laughs> you know, whatever, you, whatever you say.
1: Yeah, you miss the woman cutting open her own head. Yeah, just, <laughs> just sawing
0: her own sawing her own head right off. But no, that's that's not horror at all. So yeah, I, you see a lot more gatekeeping in that regard than you do. Like oh, you know, this is very much a boys club it's not as bad as like the comic book genre is and i i have kind of moved away i mean i still enjoy you know the marvel movies and stuff like that but i've kind of moved away from that and like the star wars fandom because it's just gotten so toxic and so the, it makes it actually literally less fun to enjoy these movies no matter how good they are and you don't really see that quite as much in horror thank goodness
1: yeah it's truly unfortunate when people feel like the way to assert their own status is to diminish or talk down to other people. Mm -hmm. I do feel like you're right, though. There's an interesting path that misogynistic culture has taken in horror where it's not, oh, this is a boys club and women aren't allowed. It's more if women dare to assert themselves or to talk about things that they liked, they're more likely to get negative reactions directed towards them.
0: Yeah, I could see that. And certainly, you know, I think that, you know, horror directed by women probably gets a little more of a critical eye than they should. Like, I know another one that was, oh, well, this isn't really horror was the Babadook, which, Mm. again, I'm not sure how you can look at that and say that that's not horror. But I think that a lot of that has to do with that it was a, a female writer and director, Unless you're counting her son, there's virtually no male characters in it, except her co-worker who tries to ask her out on a date, and then he just kind of disappears. He doesn't really play any sort of major role in the plot at all. I mean, I don't want to say it's it's not a horror movie made for women, but it's one about women, and, and I think that a lot of straight cis men feel threatened by any movie that is not about them that doesn't feature you know a character that's kind of their surrogate or a character they feel they can relate to they just don't know they don't know what to do with it they don't know how to process it
1: yeah which is very strange to me so i've had a number of different conversations for this podcast with smart intelligent informed very aware of the genre women writers and we always end up coming to this place where we're like yeah the people who are like it's not horror it's elevated horror which we just have no time or business for but then this other piece where it's like keep women out of my horror and you're just like But look at the history of the genre. Women have always been at the forefront of the horror film. And almost all the best horror films have really strong, interesting, either female roles or female writers. And unfortunately not female directors, but that is changing. So...
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at a movie like Halloween, and then you criticize movies for having a strong female character, and it, it's like, well, okay, this is not a new thing. That that movie is forty years old, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, or even go to the back with Black Christmas. Now, granted, I mean, it kind of leaves it ambiguous as to what happens to her at the end of the movie. But you know, let's just say for argument's say like she does make it to the end, mm-hmm. and she's not a wilting flower of a victim, and, and certainly you as has been covered several times, there's a lot of very strong feminist aspects to that movie. And I feel that a lot of male viewers kind of cherry pick the kind of horror that they consider to be classic by, and then so sort of obtuseness that, you know, just leaves out a lot of how, how big a role would women do and have always played in the genre other than just being, you know, a topless victim. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very odd yeah if it's a good horror film or if even, even if it's not a good horror film if you respond to it like if you like the characters if you think the kills are great if you like the villain that can be enough it doesn't have to be everyone agrees with you or somebody disagrees with you that you've got to shut it down very selective
0: yeah and and it's it's odd to me that when i see people when they describe a movie as overrated which that's just that's that's, a, that's such a huge pet peeve of mine. I don't usually confront strangers on, on Twitter except maybe the you know, the president every now and then, but, but <laughs> whenever I see anybody say something like I I saw someone today say they thought The Princess Bride was overrated. Oh and I'm gosh. like I'm like what does that mean to you? What what does, you know, this movie is overrated mean to you? Because all it means is I didn't like this movie as much as other people do. Yeah. Which that, that that puts it on the other person. The other it puts it on the everybody else who liked this movie. They're wrong for thinking this is a good movie. And it's like I, I don't know how you can get to particularly with a movie like like i mean the princess bride is a pretty across the board beloved classic and i don't and if it doesn't do anything for you it doesn't do anything for you that that's fine i mean i'm not i'm not a particular fan of romantic comedies i would consider that to be one of the few that i enjoy Mm -hmm. and you that just may not be your thing and if it's not that's fine but it's not a failing on the other people who liked it
1: yeah or the film itself
0: Right. It just, you didn't, it didn't do anything for you. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that.
1: It's just such a a subjective approach as well. It's like, it's Mm -hmm. all about me. And you're right, it 100% casts responsibility onto other people, which is so bizarre. You're using your platform to project things onto other people.
0: Yeah, like since I started writing for another outlet, I've been trying to make more of an effort to find some element. If I don't like something, I will at least try to find some element that I can say positive about it. And and I I think that makes it a, a kind of more of an enjoyable experience because there's just so much negativity out there in the world already. And people get really gleeful and nasty about not liking something that a lot of other people like. And it's sort of like, you know, well, clearly I'm smarter than you because I didn't. It's like, remember when you were a teenager and you had the one kid in the class that wears a T-shirt that says, uh, you laugh at me because I'm different. I laugh at you because you're all the same. That's, that's That's like that concept kind of taken to something like really toxic and pointless in adulthood.
1: And often anonymized.
0: Yeah, it's like, I don't like this, so I'm smarter than everybody else because I didn't fall for, you know, this this idea that this is a good movie. It's like, no, you just didn't like the movie. That's that's fine. No one's questioning you.
1: Yeah. And sometimes we don't actually want your opinion.
0: <laughs> no, exactly. You know, Sometimes you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, you know, you piss at someone's punch bowl. If someone's really loving a movie, there's no reason for you to pipe up and say, yeah, no, I didn't think it was good. I mean, you shouldn't do that with your friends. You definitely shouldn't do that with strangers because no one asked you. You know what I mean? And I and I realize when I say that I'm kind of missing the the entire point of Twitter because what's Twitter but a place for you to post your your unasked-for opinions and thoughts on things. But you wouldn't walk up to a crowd of people in a bar, that you overhear talking about a movie and tell them, "Yeah, I thought that was crap." You just wouldn't do that. I mean, if you or you do, you've got to get used to getting your drinks poured over your head or, you know, it's just but there's just people on the Internet just feel a certain such a freedom to do that. It's so strange to me.
1: Yeah, it's strange to me, too. I did notice an interesting trend happening at the end of last year where there was a lot of people giving pushback to the idea of worst of lists. Mm -hmm. I do mostly horror Twitter just because I feel like they're a slightly softer, kinder community—not always—but they are. They,
0: other than film Twitter specifically, oh yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. If <laughs> I don't know if I have the emotional temerity to uh, to to imagine there for too long.
1: Yeah, it's like putting on a full-body hazmat suit before you. Exactly. Into
0: it. <laughs> exactly. That is way more of a of a sausage party than horror Twitter is, which is strange because horror Twitter is a kind of an offshoot of that. I mean, I realize it also factors in books and and, and TV and stuff like that, but it's just, you know, still kind of... There's, there's definitely an overlap there, mm-hmm. but it's still very... but Film Twitter is still very much dominated by, you know, capital M male opinions.
1: And often white and often heterosexual and typically oh, yeah. a little bit older.
0: For sure, for sure.
1: So shifting more towards the horror community, how do you... How do you feel about the current state of the genre? You mentioned that you think it's sort of getting better.
0: Oh yeah, it's terrific. I mean, I talk, you're talking about like just the the quality of, of movies that are coming out, or or just the the fandom in general.
1: I feel like we we belabored the fandom, so we did. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's yeah. talk yeah. about the good movies. We'll shift to the positive.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I mentioned a couple times on on my podcast that for a very long time I took a break from watching new horror, and that was probably. Uh, most of the early 2000s into the early 10s because I just really was not at all into the Eli Roth torture porn kind of thing. Mm. It just did not do anything for me. I I, I can't even really explain why. You know, I, I will own that this is completely hypocritical, but... You know, given that I, you know, watch movies like Friday 13th and then Texas Chainsaw Massacre and so like that. But it, they kind of made me feel a little unclean to watch them. And everybody was just trying the same thing. You know, the person being trapped and having to free themselves and some weird, you know, person playing games with them. And it's all very soft, very hostile. And, and it just wasn't really drawing my interest at all. And then... The movie that kind of brought me back to it was it follows
1: oh.
0: and that was actually the first movie i saw, other than grindhouse which me and like seven other people saw at the theater on opening night <laughs> It Follows was probably the first movie, first horror movie I'd seen in a theater in a very long time, probably over a decade. Most of the time when I was watching them, I was watching them on the internet or, you know, just renting them through Netflix or whatever. But I, you know, I started reading reviews of it. And I'm like, well, this sounds like nothing I've ever seen before. And, and I went and sure enough, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And, and I think just in the past five or six years, there's been so much horror that i can genuinely say i've never seen anything like this
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and for such a for such a long time in the 80s and the 90s everything was so interchangeable you know you you had your slasher movies and then you had your really slick kind of music video looking horror movies like like 13 ghosts and and the remake of The House on Haunted Hill.
1: All those dark castles, yeah.
0: Yeah, which they looked really cool, but, you know, they forgot to write the script in the process of trying to make it look really cool. But, you know, there's so much you know, new things being tried and so much new concepts being offered. And it's just really, it's really exciting. Another movie I love was, and of course has, you know, been a subject of a great deal of uh, internet discourse is The Witch. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, again, I never see anything like that. I'm a fairly older person as far as on the end of, like, writing about movies and stuff like that. There have been certain movies that have scared me, but only recently have there been movies that have kind of just, like, stunned me. Where I just, like, walked out of the theater and I was just like, ah, okay, I just don't, I don't know what I just saw. <laughs> and the, um, you know, Which is a good thing. I mean, it, it's just like, you know, I gotta process this for a little while.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah
0: yeah like the last movie that i had really that kind of really had that impact on me was was suspiria yes like i went to go see with two friends of mine and we just kind of walked out we were just like not even talking we're just like okay (laughs) i need to think on this a little bit
1: i actually had the exact same experience where people were waiting on my opinion because they had already seen it and they were like, "So, what did you think?" And I was like, "I can't even talk to you. I need to go lie down. I need, <laughs> exactly. I need a wet rag and maybe a stiff drink, and I'll get back to you in a couple of days."
0: Like I need some. I need some smelling salts and an asthma inhaler. And I don't even have asthma. I do now. You know, from watching this movie. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, that film is stunning. But I can so easily see, you know, a number of the films that you've referenced. They're not uncomplicated in both the way that they're put together but also the way that they've been received but it really does feel like we're kind of living in like the magic and the excitement of horror seems mm-hmm. to be back which sounds very facetious as someone who no 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 I, 90s, I think so
0: yeah no 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 you're absolutely right and I, I think it's hilarious that jordan peele released the trailer for us on christmas day <laughs> and and people were and people were, Christmas. Yeah, and people were taking time away from their loved ones and their and their children and their grandmas to you know, watch this trailer for this insane looking horror movie. That it's a perfect trailer because you don't really know what's happening, but you want to know more, and that's what a trailer should do. It's so many, you know, so many movie trailers are so long, and they and they they give away so much. And this one's just like, well, I don't understand that, but I'm gonna be there to find out what happens.
1: That one is hysterical it's good we can talk about it because it won't have come out by the time this podcast comes out so we won't sound like we've missed the mark but i love that everyone thought that they kind of knew what it was about and then we saw the trailer and now we kind of think that we know what it's about and i don't think we have any idea what it's about. no
0: no i think he's very i think he knows exactly what he's doing as far as you know, the the imagery that he's kind of letting be released and yeah I, I think he's you know making it so you think you know but you don't really know
1: mm-hmm so you've mentioned a couple of films. It follows the Babadook, Get Out, Us. Are there any other films, and they can be old films as well, apart from the one that we're going to talk about in more detail? But are there other films that you think people should be checking out?
0: Um, I mean, definitely one that I really liked was A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh yeah, and you know, again, you female writer director female main character. I mean that I will concede the argument that it's might not necessarily be horror because it's it's not particularly scary. I mean it's about a vampire but it's more setting the mood than anything else mm-hmm. but just the way it's it's done in black and white and
1: it's Iranian, right?
0: Well, it's actually American made but they speak Persian so it's it's interesting like it's filmed in the US and all but it is the characters are all supposed to be Iranian, Iranian, yeah. Hmm it's very it's, it's just has a very interesting look to it that's one that i you know saw in the theater and i still find myself thinking about it every now and then what else i keep falling back on hereditary i, I really think that that's probably one of the most unforgettable horror movies i've seen in many a long time oh oh i uh, can't believe i didn't forget to mention this mandy mandy is like one of the most it's definitely one of those movies where as soon as it was over, I was just kind of like just blinking like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to think about this for a little while. But I think I watched it maybe, you know, like about three or four months ago, something like that. The more I think about it and the longer time has gone, the more I love it. I love it so much as insane as it is and how okay we've got cenobites apparently and then we have a we have a commercial for macaroni and cheese in the middle of it you know we have him you forging his own battle axe which is which is just how many other you know you know horror movies do you know in which the hero forges a battle axe and then he really doesn't even use it that much he like uses it on like one person
1: oh yeah because we got a chainsaw waiting in the wings
0: Right, you've got this giant chainsaw. But there's just so much about that movie that, you know, when you do have time to process it and all, it's just, okay, there's so much going on here. Like, there was a really, really excellent article. I wish I could remember where it was. Um, I want to say it was Vulture. There was a female writer, and she was writing about the scene in which... Jeremiah Sands, the villain, is kind of you know putting his line on Mandy and trying to seduce her. And he's like standing in front of her, he's completely naked, and he's doing this sort of hippie, you know, bearing his soul thing to her, and then she just starts laughing at him, and it's such a. It's funny, but it's also very, very powerful because he he cries and you can tell that like he's not used to women reacting this way to him. And in this era of you know, Me Too and, and, you know, people like Louis C.K. trying to make his comeback and mm-hmm. all just to have a woman just, you know, sit there and listen to you doing your stupid shit and doing your spiel. And then she just starts laughing. I mean, it's just that's such an incredible thing
1: and it's an inversion of the kinds of stories that we typically hear right where Men are the ones who are laughing and women are the ones who are in jeopardy and they're, they're terrified. Exactly.
0: Right? It's, it's, the, it's the women who you know, are often you know, made to feel insecure and lacking and that they've failed in some way to, to be attractive to men. And then he's just literally bearing himself to her and she's just gleefully laughing at him. And, and it's just probably the most powerful scene in the whole movie.
1: Yeah, I should probably check it back out again, because I kind of half paid attention because I, Nicolas Cage and I are not always on speaking terms, so.
0: (laughs) I can understand that. I spent a very long time not watching his movies after watching The Wicker Man, which is probably my least favorite movie of all time. For our podcast, we did a Patreon only episode about, um, I don't know if you saw Apostle on Netflix.
1: Oh, yeah, with Dan Stevens.
0: Yeah, and we talked a little bit about folk horror, and I really got into my my Wicker Man rant. And and, I mean, I love the original, but the remake just made me so angry in every possible way. And and I haven't watched any movies since then that Neil LaBude has done. And, you know, I'm very, very choosy with with Nicolas Cage movies. Like I haven't seen Mom and Dad yet. I I understand it's actually really good. I just haven't seen it yet, but Mandy. A number of people whose opinions I tend to trust on these things were like, "Oh, you got to see Mandy." I'm like, "Yeah, all right." And then I watch it, I was like, "Oh my god!"
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the in spite of Nicolas Cage. Yeah,
0: and... yeah. Yeah, but it, it works for his brand of you know, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, just Insane. you know, whatever he's whatever he's doing. I don't even know if there is a name for it. I mean, I guess you could call it acting, but yeah. but I don't know. I think it's kind of beyond acting.
1: It's like his name is now its own verb. It's like it's Nicholas Caging. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> Pull it <in> a
1: cage. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, so February is also the month of love and valentine's day and i asked you to select one film i mean we've talked about like a dozen films at this point but you selected an old film that you wanted to talk about so you selected an american werewolf in london and before i mm-hmm. let you tell me why you selected him why you love it i just want to thank you because this was on my gap list of films where i've always meant to watch it and hadn't gotten around to it and oh. i finally watched it because i was having this conversation with you and it's freaking amazing oh my god, why did i it's not watch So this?
0: good i saw your i saw your tweets about it and, I, and you said you thought you were confusing it with the american world in paris i'm like no
1: <laughs> well, i think i thought i knew the story because i had seen that one and i was like well if it's gonna be like that one then i don't know oh, but god, i need no. to watch no. it and
0: it's yeah, nothing no, like I, the sequel. no, uh, uh-uh. uh, no, God, no.
1: But no, tell me. So, sorry, I, that was like me inserting myself into your conversation. But <laughs> so, tell me, why did you pick this one?
0: Well, I think that it was probably the first horror movie that I, I was I was a kid when it came out I believe I was maybe eight or nine when it came out and I remember my my parents went to go see it at the theater and they they told me about it and it sounded really good and then I was like well I want to see that and then, but they're like no nope, you have to wait till it comes out on cable so I uh as soon as it came out I watched it and I think that was probably the first horror movie that I really just was absolutely just latched on to like i would seen halloween and jaws and all before that but just it had all the elements to really really draw my attention and i wrote a uh, a novel last year it's got some elements of horror but i would have to say that american wolf is probably a big influence of that because it's got a lot of the elements of horror and comedy and tragedy and it's very hard to do horror comedy well oh yeah a lot of movies try and just they, they, they miss the mark. But this one just really hits every note so well. Like with Griffin Dunn's character, who is probably my favorite horror movie character of all. I just love his... I love Jack so much. Mm. And and I, I'm convinced that if I was ever in a horror movie, I'd be playing that character. Like... <laughs> the friend who gets killed pretty early on and then just keeps coming back as like this decaying corpse to just kind of both give advice and make fun of the main character at the same time.
1: And so unexpectedly, like, I've never seen another movie that actually uses like a spectral haunting to advance the narrative more than just like, hey, I'm, I'm here to represent your guilty conscience or something like that. Jack is a literal character, but he's dead for most of his screen time
0: yeah it's I would say the only other story that does that pretty well is is pet cemetery
1: mm, yeah
0: you know we, again we don't really know the, I mean this character has no like history with the main character in, in pet cemetery so a little bit of the impact is lost I mean you know if you're you're dealing with you know the guilt of you know, surviving an attack that killed your friend I mean they're showing up to, to talk to you after they after they die is you know there's a lot of that's a little bit of a uh, you, you alternating emotions happening there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that this is the rare movie in which a character does have to deal with the the guilt of surviving something that kills someone else they cared about. And I, I wasn't a huge fan of the recent version of Halloween. I, I thought it was okay, but I really liked it. If the whole movie had just been Jamie Lee Curtis's character. I would have been perfectly fine with that oh God, because yeah, I, I really, they did her character very well. And, and she absolutely was completely, was totally convincing as someone who had survived a trauma that few other people would ever experience, and there's an example of where they try horror comedy, and it's like, mm, no, I, I, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about a cute little kid, you know, making wisecracks and then you know running out of the house because someone's being murdered in front of him. It just, it just doesn't like it. it didn't quite gel for me. I, I, it was okay. I, I don't know that I'll watch it again, but it was, it was all right. But going back to America, World, it's just, it's so, so much of what happens to him is just. So absurd, you know. You got the classic fish out of water trope, where he's forced to stay there because he has to recover, and and he doesn't know anybody there but this nurse, and and dealing with that, and 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 it, there's like it, there's a lot happening in this movie that you know maybe not even watching the first time that you catch, and that's unique for a horror movie, particularly one made in the '80s. They were very much. Okay, we're having a party, and here comes a murderer coming in and just you know stabbing everybody to death. The end.
1: Whereas in this case, I was aware of the transformation sequence because, of course, everybody's seen that particular sequence. I was shocked at how late it actually comes in the movie. Like I mm-hmm. thought it was going to show up twenty minutes in. No,
0: like... no, you really spend a lot. Of, you spend a lot of time getting to know this character. Yes which again that's that's you know something that'll uh, you know as as we've mentioned time and time again on my podcast you know character development is something that a lot of horror movies don't bother with Mm -hmm. you know particularly slasher movies you just have like a bunch of characters and you have very much the archetype of the nice girl the slutty girl the guy that's always playing jokes the guy who might be the hero and then of course you know the final girl but you really don't know them as people mm-hmm. but i mean this character like david you really get to care about him <laughs> and, it, and it just makes the it just makes the ending feel much more tragic than than you would normally expect for a horror movie
1: oh yeah it's funny because in a way you could see the ending coming like a mile away
0: oh sure sure
1: they're basically telling him like you've got to commit suicide you've got to end this there's no other way around it. Like, it's not like, you know, Nurse Price is going to be locking him up in her apartment once a month or something like that.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I mean, that that would be glad you see. Cause I guess I, I feel like I like I feel like a movie like Shaun of the Dead did that well. Where in the end he just kind of kept uh, he's kind of kept Ed in the shed in the backyard, mm-hmm. but I mean that's the whole movie kind of had that tone of, of silliness, yeah. and and you know that that would not have worked with you know, with this with her helping him because. You just don't do that. He kills people. Okay. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not him doing it, but it's something that's in him. So there's no way that this is going to end well for anybody. No. But it, you know, you, even as you, you steal yourself for this, you're you're thinking, I kind of wish maybe it would work out for him. He's a nice guy.
1: <laughs> yeah. And particularly their relationship, too, right? So often you have these forced romances. When he's flirting with her in the hospital, I was like, uh this isn't necessary, it, they're going to try to shoehorn this in so that they've got a, a love interest or even worse, I thought they were going to do a damsel in distress. But by the time that she actually forcibly breaks through that police brigade to try to talk him down, you believe, like you, you want to believe that she's going to be able to be like, no, like David, you can come out of this. And then when they shoot him and he's dead and the movie just ends, you're like, wow they sucked me into that. Like, I can't believe yeah. how invested I was.
0: Yeah. And, and it, I mean, like you, you, and you watch it again. I've seen this movie quite a few times and, and the, the impact of that never lessens. It's like, oh, this is a really nice guy. And, and they, and they, you know, and they spent some, a little bit of time developing his friendship with Jack. So it's sad when, you know, and Jack's a very funny character. He seems mm-hmm. very, you know, very realistic. And, and he's not just wisecracking or being obnoxious. Like a lot of, you know, sidekick characters and, in horror movies, do you you, be, you believe their friendship? You,
1: oh, 100%.
0: You know, not to keep going back to my own podcast, one complaint I had about the Friday the 13th movies is how often all these characters were together at a cabin out in the woods, but you, you just didn't believe why they were there together. They, they didn't feel like friends do you know what i mean like there was no there was no like cohesiveness everybody just seemed to kind of at minimum be slightly annoyed outright hate each other and these things you kind of have more of a dramatic impact if you feel that there is a real sense of emotion and history between the characters and and jack alive is not in it too long i think maybe about 15 20 minutes but you absolutely buy this friendship that they have i mean these are just a couple of college dudes probably a little bit out of their element you know backpacking <laughs> across the uh you know they're obviously from new york city and and you know probably never been in a in the countryside you know any further than maybe you know Westchester or something, and their and their entire lives, but they're going to go backpack in a, you know the most desolate parts of England, and and yeah, you know they don't really know what they're doing, but you want them to have a good time, and then they don't, and things go bad, and that's sad.
1: Yeah, compare and contrast with hostile.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, man, I can't wait for these assholes to start dying off. you know. And, and, I mean, and certainly, you know, with some, some, you know, a lot of horror movies, the, the fun is in watching these awful characters just get killed off. Sometimes you just do want to see that. Oh, yeah. But other times there is so much more of a, you know, certain movies where you, you feel you know these people or, you, you know, you could know these people. You just feel that you a
1: lot that's a great way of putting it because i think that's what i responded to the most i mean the the great combination of humor and horror the fantastic set pieces like that piccadilly circus crash sequence and attack sequence Mm -hmm. is just amazing it blew my mind but really at the end of the day the thing that i gravitated to the most was that these people felt genuine their connections Mm -hmm. felt realistic and I cared about them. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. want bad things to happen to them, even though basically from the minute that they leave the bar in the opening, it's all bad shit all the way through.
0: Oh yeah. Like, even if you had no idea going in on what the movie was about, as soon as they get lost, you're like like, okay, here it goes. I don't I don't I don't know which I don't know which one of them is is not gonna make it out of this trip, but at least one of them's going. You know I <laughs> mean? And just, it just hits all those beats really well where you, you start feeling the tension and, and again when they when they start getting lost they, they react in a way that feels you know, very organic. Because they know and trust each other, they are and, and this is, you know, difficult for, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but you know, openly expressing being afraid is something that's difficult for men. Mm-hmm. But if you are with a friend that you trust and you 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 have a history with, you can feel free to kind of let your defenses down and say, okay, I don't know where we are. I'm freaking out a little bit. And which you know, makes that scene really one of the best moments in the in the whole movie is when they're running and David, I guess he trips over something and he falls and they start laughing. Yeah and they're just they're so relieved it's like oh he just fell and then all of a sudden it just completely does a does a you know hard left turn into horror when <laughs> it's like this werewolf just leaps out of nowhere i mean where does it come from you know it's just like you know they're they're out in the moors they should have been able to see it coming but it just like out of nowhere it just leaps on them and it, it's so startling but you because you got that moment of relief it's sort of like a, a very ad, advanced version of the the cat jumping out of you scene seen mm-hmm. where usually usually there's a little bit of a, of a break between that and then when the actual horror happens here it's like it's like seconds you know he falls down they start laughing you right. know Jack reaches out to, to pull him up and then all of a sudden just everything just goes to hell and it's done so well
1: it was amazing. I really, really enjoyed watching it. I'm so thankful that you. Uh... Oh, I'm glad.
0: I'm so glad. I would have, I would have been so disappointed if you, if you didn't, if you turned out not to like it. I don't encounter. I'm sure they're out there because there's always a contrarian for every movie. But I've not encountered too many people who that don't like this movie. I, mean, I don't know that anybody. I don't know that everybody likes it as much as I do. But I think, generally speaking, the the, the overall opinion, the consensus. Thank you. <laughs> I was like reaching for the word. The consensus <laughs> is pretty positive.
1: Yeah. No, it is great, and now I will no longer equate it with an American werewolf and parents,
0: oh God, no, no no, 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 no. <laughs> I did not see that in the theater i I knew you know 'cause they had a they had that that bush song for a mm-hmm. format, and I remember seeing the trailer and I'm like, oh, this is bullshit <laughs> this is this is not my. this is because for one thing it was what did that come out like ninety six ninety seven maybe somewhere around there During it the was dark days. Um, yeah it was just starting to get into the era of cgi transformations mm-hmm. so you did not get that iconic the the bubbling and the and the you know the air bladder so this is the first time you watched it what did you think of the transformations do you think it holds up pretty well
1: i do yeah there yeah. there were a couple yeah. parts where i was like okay that you know it hasn't aged quite as nicely but especially when you see the snout push out of his face i was like mm-hmm. how the hell did they do this <laughs> Like it's a genuine marvel.
0: You know they use the, uh, the similar effects in Thriller, right? Michael Jackson's Thriller. Oh yeah. They even use some of the same sound effects and all too. But uh, it, like in American Wolf in Paris, it was just sort of like she does this little head shake thing, and then she's like a oh, werewolf, and I was like, oh come on. Yeah. <laughs> and and I mean, and another thing that this movie does really well is it it makes you. Th- you know, realize that's probably incredibly painful to turn into a werewolf mm-hmm. i mean he's just like you've got the bones breaking and the stretching and and it's just it's so visceral where you know a lot of times i don't know, I don't know if you ever seen there was another movie that came out roughly around the same time as it's called the howling
1: yeah that one i have seen which to a certain extent is kind of similar but nowhere near as effective
0: it's a little it kind of goes for being a little sillier I think uh, um, I, I think it tried very hard to to be a very old-timey horror movie like a universal horror movie mm-hmm. but with like sex scenes and stuff in which yeah. you know I like it's like oh I don't want a werewolf sex scene I'm good you know <laughs> but they you know they also have the extended transformation scene but there it's just kind of they're just kind of standing there while their faces are expanding and their fingers are growing but here it's just you know he's you know he seems in agony and yeah. it's just so believable and, and just so again visceral is the best work i think of for it
1: yeah there's a reason that the movie is a classic and mm-hmm. i can now completely understand why
0: I'm so glad you liked it. (laughs) (laughs) I got to see it at the Alamo Drafthouse on the big screen uh, about a year ago. And I was just so thrilled. I was so happy to see it because I'd never I never had the opportunity to see it in actual theater before I'd only ever seen it on TV.
1: Yeah, that must have been amazing it was
0: it was so good
1: people should go see more movies on the big screen
0: <laughs> they should the movie theater should make them less expensive that's the main problem yeah. or, or or movie or movie pass needs to get their shit together and you know <laughs> I, I i miss movie i had i saw i went to the theater so many times last year with movie pass and now i hardly i don't i probably cut the amount of times i went to the theater in half this year it made me so sad
1: uh, yeah it's a different day and age.
0: It is. The best you can say is at least things come out on streaming so fast now and if you have and it's not that expensive to get a decent sized television. but there is something to be said for the whole theatrical experience like not to keep falling back on talking about hereditary, but just being in a theater with people like just gasping and, and you know that, that classic like letting out little screams and stuff like that it's, that you really don't get that watching it at home.
1: Yeah, it's a golden age for horror, but people need to make sure that they're going out and supporting it and having those experiences on the big screen with the theater. Yeah, it's important. Exactly. All right. Well, Gina, where can people find you if they want to seek you out on the Internet?
0: Well, as I said, I am uh, the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast. You can just look that up under that name. I have my own website. It's Gina And I also write for, as of this recording, it's called Hollywood, but sometime in February, it's going to be called The Spool. I'm also on Twitter under Porcelain72.
1: Okay, excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This was great. (laughs) We
0: did. I I can really, really talk about these kinds of things.
1: Yeah, you should tell Patrick to shut up more so that you can get some better (laughs) points.
0: Yeah, we sometimes have to fight a little bit with each other.
1: All right. Well, thanks again.
0: Thank you. The Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad.